Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Doris Christensen. And today we're going to be talking about how we can empower ourselves. Many of us come from backgrounds, family upbringings, cultures where we follow quite a set path. We often are conditioned to be in a certain way. That's not right or it's wrong. It's just the way things are. Sometimes in midlife, or I'd say more often in midlife, we start to think, gosh, I want my life to be different I want to do some of the things I've been putting on the back burner. Or maybe we reach a point where we realize we're not really deeply happy with where we are and we just need to change. Today's guest is somebody who has come through that journey that's led her to become a coach and an author. And I'm really excited to share her story with you. Welcome to the show, Asmina Jiwa. Thank you so much, Carissa. It's so lovely to be here and yeah, contribute to whatever little bit we know to help other people, especially from our own experience. That's so beautiful. Asmina, tell me a little bit about your own story because I know that you are born initially in Uganda and then you came to the UK. Yes. So my great-grandparents came from Gujarat in India to Africa. And then my parents and myself have uh, lived there until the Uganda crisis happened in 1979, when all the Asians had to leave. Well, I came to England a year before, and then my parents left and became refugees and then went to the United States, actually, to settle down. But from what I remember from my childhood, I was an extremely shy child. And I wouldn't even, you know, look up, especially if there were boys, I mean, my school friends. I have got a couple of men friends who used to be my classmates in England. And when they see me now, they can't believe I'm the same person. So I was a very, very shy child. I was a very shy teenager. Memories I have of uh, being shy were things like not going to parties, feeling very embarrassed if I was on the same table as when guests came. Even to eat on the same table was embarrassing. So I was that shy. And a very, well, some people might say, wow, how silly. But I remember when I came to England, because in in Uganda, we didn't have these zebra crossings, you know, pedestrian crossings. And here in England, we have so many and not always controlled by lights. And I used to even feel embarrassed crossing the road, which sounds so funny now. But I wouldn't cross the road unless there were some other people. 
I didn't want to pick people up just for me. And I would be embarrassed because I think, oh, you know, people in the car are watching me. It was that kind of feeling conscious and embarrassed. And the other thing, of course, I remember is also being brought up as somebody who must please other people. You know, my mother tended to always please my dad and things like that. So that's how I was brought up. And um, so I think in end of life, you know, when we talk a little bit more about what I went through in midlife, that's the kind of thing that I realized by doing too much of that was what caused us some of that, you know, things that come up in midlife. Exactly. And Asmina, you bring up a really important point there about, you know, you saw your own mother, you know, very much being somebody whose job was to give and to care for others and how that then became a way that you also lived. Yes. And I think we, I mean, it's not a bad thing to serve other people, but I think what we don't realize and what we are not taught at a young age is that we need to take care of ourselves first in a way. We need to build our own self-esteem, self-confidence rather than get it from pleasing other people. So I think culturally, there's a lot of this where that kind of upbringing seems to happen where we don't realize and we think it's in the giving that things will happen for us and, you know, other people praising us. But I I found, realized that really isn't true anymore. (laughs) No. And then you you were married and you had a family, but something happened in your midlife, didn't it, around your 40s that made things change a bit? That's right, yes. I mean, I, I... Until then, I actually didn't realize that I was not living this life that I was supposed to live. I was living, so I became, um, I trained as a podiatrist and worked for a few months and then got married. And of course, I became this, in the marriage, I became, uh, not initially, actually, mind you, when I got married and I did have children for four years, our uh, relationship was very much like um, friends, really. We did things together, cleaned the house together. But when children came, something happened, something changed where I was at home more. And it seemed like I then went into this role, uh, kind of, you know, became, I think, a bit of maybe what I was trained to be culturally. Became that, uh, that pleaser and, oh, you know, my husband was out working. So I, it's my responsibility to do a little bit more and to please. And I, something changed and, and also... I started, whereas maybe before, if I had conversations with my husband, it was kind of an equal level. Somehow it became a different level. So when he started asking things, which had, of course, being at home with children, my life had changed because now I was doing a little bit of my own things, like maybe going out with friends, with kids. And if I wasn't home on time and he would come for lunch and things like that, and if he mentioned something like, oh, and you weren't home and I came... I took it as, oh, I didn't perform my duty. I took it as as something which was like a command rather than something I could discuss, something I could say, yeah, I did this and I really enjoyed it. So I started giving up those things. As I was living this kind of a life where I was working, I was happy doing my, I was called chiropodist in those days, treating people's feet and making them comfortable. And we were having holidays. We had, you know, we had a lot of comforts in that way. But now, having realized different things, when I look back and I can compare my life now to then, what I feel is that life was like a treadmill. I was living almost like a robot, you know, doing things that I had to do. 
pushing down my emotions. If anything came up where I was unhappy, instead of voicing it, I would push it down further inwards. At the time, I didn't realize, but now I realize I was pushing it. But what I thought I was doing was ignoring it and pushing it out. But now I know that we don't actually push these feelings out. We only just keep pushing them in. And so what I realized at that midlife was because the hormones were changing, I think my understanding is that I couldn't push those things out anymore. They had to be dealt with, they had to be listened to. And I'm so thankful that I had read some books around menopause and how that's the time for us to really look after ourselves. That stopped me going on a journey of, you know, anxiety. I I faced a little bit of anxiety and things for a few months, but this is what helped me. And I then started, instead of going to doctors and taking, well, I did go to doctors and uh, medication was offered, but I didn't want to take it. I took a little bit of the heart palpitation tablets because my heart would just pound in the morning. I didn't want to take other medication. And that's really when I started to attend workshops and look in how can I help myself to overcome this. So at the time, what I was feeling was this in my 40s. I'm sorry, a long story in the background to your question, but I thought it was important to point out what it was like beforehand. So the, the kind of things I was feeling was very unhappy, very, very down, tearful, feeling almost feeling like life wasn't worth it, even though the physical comforts were all there for me. So yeah, so that really was the kind of the feeling that I started experiencing. Yes. And that is something that I think many women can really relate to. And I many of the listeners will relate to this, that on the surface, our life looks quite good, doesn't it, Asmina? You have a lovely husband, lovely children, a good job, but there's something inside us that doesn't feel quite fulfilled. Yeah, I think it was the right word there. It's like, uh, you feel like it's a smooth life at, at the time until something happens then realizing that actually I wasn't living my life for me. I was just doing things for everybody else, not being able to say no, always ending up saying no, yes to everybody who wanted, you know, wanted uh, any help. And, And really, even though you want to say no because you feel you haven't got the right energy or the, you know, the oomph or the whatever motivation to do anything at that time, just because... Oh, I've got to please these people, otherwise they won't like me. They might reject me. So a lot of fears, actually. I was living with a lot of these fears that I hadn't realized until after taking this journey of what I call self-discovery. Yes. And was there any particular book or course that really prompted you to take personal action? Yes. I mean, the two books that I actually did have in my, on my shelf, can't remember the author of one of them, but the other one, Christine Northup. She talks a lot about women and women's health, Dr. Christine Northup. And so one of her books was talking about menopause. And the other book I read was also talking about how menopause, if we haven't taken care of ourselves all our life, then this could be the time when these symptoms appear. And it's really because we have not looked after our own self-esteem, confidence level, our own health, that this thing comes up. And so that gave me hope, at least that gave me a a little light at the end of the tunnel. So then I thought, okay, so what can I now do? What can I start looking for that I can help myself with? And the first workshop um, that I came across was called Zest for Life. And those just those words, Zest for Life. 
yeah, I think that is what I didn't have all those years. I didn't have that feeling of, yeah, I'm really living life. The feeling was that I was actually more existing. Like I said earlier, like a treadmill of life. I was just existing through life and not really feeling this aliveness. So Zest for Life, the workshop, it was a one-day workshop, and I had to take a picture of myself as a child with me. And the exercises we did where we tapped into that inner child, I was just so tearful the whole morning of that workshop. I was crying. And I sat right in the front because I was small built and I liked to, you know, like to see the speaker. So she's she's looking at me and I'm just crying the whole time. (laughs) But it must have taken you right back to those things you described at the start of this conversation that, you know, they were this really very shy, introverted child that looked down when he came to London, didn't walk across the zebra crossing. And obviously that brought all of that out and maybe allowed that to come to the surface more. That's right. Yes. A lot of it was that coming to the surface and beginning to let go of that. And of course, there was a lot more work to do as I progressed. So that was something that really, really touched me. And the other thing was, uh, besides the those things coming up, was that innately we have before this conditioning that happens in our life that, you know, we start adopting what our parents do and, and tell us, we have a sense of who we are, I think. You know, like children, they start to express themselves. And it's only when they're expressing something that maybe as a parent, we are fearful for them or we have beliefs that we then start molding them and we start them their self-expression to come through. So that looking at the child also, you know, one of the exercises that I did with uh, Don Breslin, who was running this workshop, was really looking deep into the eyes of this inner child and really looking at that that potential that child had before all the conditioning. You know, she described very well, she said at the core of the onion, which is us, the very core, and then all the onion layers are layers that have been put on us by our community and society and parents and maybe even teachers at school. And now it's time to slowly peel them off. And then how do we do that? So all the tools I learned in the workshop were, to me, like such an eye-opener. Why why are we not being taught this at school? Why do we not learn this in our life at a young age? So that we know how to tap into our true potential. So yeah, so that was what the um, workshop uh, really opened up my mind to tools. And at the end of the workshop, we were doing uh, goal setting. So what are we going to do? How are we going to change? And one of my goal was looking at Don Dreslin training, I could really just feel that this is what I want to do. This is what I, I really would love to, you know, to, to do and teach people. So that that's how that wonderful day ended. And then, of course, there were other courses that came my way, like uh, a leaflet actually came through my door, which was on, uh, on, on, not well, it wasn't called online in those days. It was distant learning. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about 20 years ago now. <laughs> so, so that was Newcastle College offering performance coaching course that you could train as performance coach. So I took up that training and then, of course, a lot more because I really wanted to become a trainer. So that was like the turning point. And, and you know, and you said, what was the, so that was really my first workshop. And then I went on to reading a lot of books and 
came across other things like Field of Fear and Do It Anyway, Dr. Susan Jeffers' book, which was amazing. Yes, amazing book for overcoming fears. So all, all of those kind of things really, really helped me. As you went through this process, how was that received inside your 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 culture with inside your your relationship with your husband i think there was a bit of resistance initially but i i again i i make a joke of this i say my husband's love for me was greater than his ego <laughs> because i think there's so many people who you know have to have to um, take different paths in their life because if if the other partner is not willing to accept well, he was willing to accept the new me because I felt he loved me enough to see that I was happy. I was, you know, I was feeling more alive. And, and, and in a way, and also my children, they actually said, wow, it's so nice to be with you. Because initially, because I was just trying to please everybody, I didn't know what I wanted. Oh, you know, it's okay. I'm not sure. And then there's, when, when you're not sure, I think other people also feel a little bit uncomfortable because they're not sure if they're doing the right thing, especially children. I mean, my husband was always a very self, is uh, also a very self-assured person. So he always knew what he wanted, but I was like, oh, I don't know. And then they thought they had to please me. And so now they were really happy actually to see me feeling this aliveness and feeling lively and being so much happier. So actually I was lucky for me. There wasn't a lot. And, and also in the society, people started noticing. And not just that, but I was also then, obviously, because I was training to be a personal development trainer, I was then giving out little little tips to other people. And, and, and I think people were being drawn to me because, like you said earlier, a lot of people go through this life and don't realize that they're not living their life fully. So, so I think it was positive for me, really, quite a positive experience. That's wonderful. And it led you to write a book, didn't you, called Five Keys to Freedom? Yes, actually, the book is called Freedom to Be Me. And what I've developed since then, which I published the book in 2018, so about three years ago now. And it's my story intertwined with all the tools that I have learned over the years to help myself how other people can use them. At the end of every chapter, I have a worksheet that people can use after reading. So my, uh, my, I mean, I've got more than five chapters, but I came up with these five keys as a training. I want, I'm starting to run workshops on these five keys of freedom to be you, and I'm doing talks on that subject. So I feel those are the five core keys that can really, really help people. So they are how to think differently, which was the first thing I learned that our thoughts is what creates our feelings and our emotions and hence our behavior and then our destiny. So it's from changing my thoughts that a lot of, and accepting my emotions and feelings, of course, acknowledging them rather than pushing them out. So this is one of the keys. And the second one, which I like to let people you know, experience is self-acceptance. Because we go through life, nobody tells us, you are special, you're unique. We're always told, don't this, you're not doing this properly. Why don't you do this? Why, you know, we're always, our faults are always picked up, aren't they? Rather than our things we do well. 
Very true. Very true. We're always we're always being told what we're not doing right quite often. Or that's the messages we hear, Asmin, isn't it? Not necessarily that's what people are saying, but we pick up that we're not doing something right. That's right. Yes, because it's not often that what we write is pointed out by other people. <laughs> and yeah, and then the uh, third one is that we are responsible for our own happiness. Again, I think another thing I've noticed, and I used to do this a lot, is blame other people. Oh, you know, my husband doesn't let me go out because he he says uh, he doesn't like being on his own when I'm out and things like that. So it was about blaming. Oh, my friend, why doesn't she understand? Why does she keep asking me to help her? Doesn't she know I, I you know, I, I might get tired? Rather than saying, if I am responsible, if I want to say no, how am I going to do it? So it's, it's really that we are responsible for our own happiness and success, how to live a balanced life, because that's another thing. If we are giving too much time to work, too much time to family, not taking care of ourselves, not doing enough quiet time, not doing enough exercise, all those things affect our well-being and our self-esteem and overcoming our fears, because fear is a huge thing that stops us living our life the way we want. So these are the these are the five core keys that I feel I really you know like sharing with people. Yes, and do you feel that when people step through those five keys, they really notice the difference in their life? Yeah, well, I'm really going first by my own example. That these are the things that have really really helped me in my life, and I feel if it's helped me go through what I was going through that other people who are going through the uh, similar can go through, you know, can express the same things. So recently I had some feedback from one business that I just finished running workshop from and three of the people who attended were women and one was a male. And they all actually felt the benefit. They felt they were able to express their opinions more at the workplace because otherwise they would feel oh, I can't say this because people will laugh at me or, you know, I, I better not express myself because it might come out as a silly idea or whatever. Even at home, they're feeling much more relaxed because even in the workshop, I, I did meditations with them and now they're able to use it through the day while they're working. They're feeling they're much more relaxed. So definitely it has helped people to live a much better life and, and be able to express themselves and have that freedom because I think to me it is about although my whole journey was about not being not feeling free to say to do to have what I wanted so that's why I I, to me the freedom to be you is a really good way to express that yes and that must be such a wonderful feeling the freedom to be you because because I think we carry and I think particularly as women we carry a tremendous amount of, as you said, this pleasing that comes from everywhere. And suddenly you've gone back to your inner child and you are free to express yourself as you would have done if society hadn't laid all its shoulds onto you. That's right. Yes. And when we watch children, you can see, right, until about, I think, three, four years old, they're so free. They'll go... They're running on the street, they're dancing, even if they're at the supermarket, they will be doing something which we as an adult, if we feel like jumping up and and dancing, we wouldn't do it. (laughs) But you see, the children feel so free. Yes, they they just do it. They play, they interact, they laugh, they sing, and they are totally 
themselves. Themselves, they'll cry in public. Which, how many of us do that when we want to when we want to express ourselves? Because to me, when I cry, I feel such a release. You know, that's my way of releasing is tears. Again, people stop themselves. Oh, I'm being silly, but we're not. This is a natural way of expressing ourselves. Yes, it is, and I and I love that sense, and I can hear that. You've captured a zest for life because it's so obvious in your voice. Oh, <laughs> thank you. I must say, yes, I, I, w- I would never, never have been able to talk like this. I, would, I was so conscious and so afraid that even talking to three people, I, you know, one of the memory that comes to me is when I used to drop my children off at school was fine. But when I was picking them up, I would stay in the car until they were almost ready to come out. Because I was feeling like I couldn't go out there and talk to these parents who are standing outside. I'm going to look so silly and what have I got to say? And all those kind of thoughts would just stop me going out and chatting with people. And now I'm talking to crowds of people. And of course, I had to overcome those fears. And it doesn't mean that fear doesn't come. This is one of the things I've learned, that everybody feels fear. And just because I felt fear, I thought, because I'm afraid of doing something means I can't do it. What I didn't realize is that you can feel the fear and you can change your mind about it and you can change those thoughts that are fear-based thoughts and you can still go and do it. And this, these are the little things that really, really helped me to overcome my fear. They are. Indeed. And when you just said that, gosh, just thinking that there was so much fear just to have what some people might think, oh, that's just a trivial conversation in the schoolyard. But actually for you, that was a barrier. And we're like shutting ourselves off from friendships and from community when we feel like that. But we're not alone, but we're not alone in feeling that. And I think that, you know, not just women, but men too, push away you know, connection with people that can be very important. We know loneliness is a big issue in our society. And a lot of that does come from fear. Yeah, I think you're so right. Because of fear, we don't connect because we're not being able to speak our mind. We are not, you know, we're not speaking our truth, I think. If we feel something about somebody, we hold it back. And then if we hold it back, how can there be true connection? It's quite quite hard, isn't it, to 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 really know the other person if we are not willing to open up a little bit to them and them then feeling comfortable to open up to us. I think somewhere uh, Marion Williamson says, if you, oh, I'm paraphrasing, but it's, it's something about when you do something, then other people have the freedom to do that. You know, like one example is I love dancing. And, and uh, that is one thing actually I did used to get because if there, I, I did, you actually, I, I didn't let fear stop me because it was something I just would not be able to stop my body moving if there was some music that resonated with me. And so I, I would get up and dance, actually. So that was one thing I would do, was doing, funny enough. And I remember one time when I was in this place where we were in a group and we'd all gone for dinner and there was dancing and I actually pulled a friend and started dancing and somebody else got up later on and she came to me and she said, I love dancing, but she said, I would have never, never got up until you got up and that gave me the confidence. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we have to do something to, to help other people as well. And we are, and I think you're right. You've just given a fantastic example of that when we step over our fears and are true to ourselves, that it opens the gateway for other people who are not sure of being maybe the first. 
Yes. Yeah. So that's where I think we have to develop that that courage of maybe just being the first to do something. <laughs> but and annoying. And, and actually, when I'm training people, I do say to them that look at it this way. Instead of looking at people criticizing you, look at what courage I might give other people and, and turn it around, you know, reframe it. And when you think about, oh, I might be helping people actually by being, by speaking up or doing what I want to do, that changes it, doesn't it? It changes the way your energy then would be to, to do what you want to do. Yeah. And you said that word energy, because it really is all about our energy, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. That is beautiful. And, and now you're not working as a podiatrist. Now you work full time as a personal development coach, don't you? Well, part-time. <laughs> I actually just finished about a couple of years ago as a podiatrist. I was doing just one, one and a half day practice. And I was doing this work as well. So after I, so just going back a little bit, when I finished my training for Zest, my workshop with Zest for Life and took training. So I became a performance coach, a life coach. I did some neuro-linguistic programming. Then I became a trainer of the Zest for Life workshops. So I used to run those workshops then that affected me so much in my transformation. And then I was running workshops on Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway as a licensed trainer for Dr. Susan Jeffers. So it was all on part-time basis. And now this is also just part-time work because I'm, I'm you know, kind of retired age, so semi-retired, but I don't want to give up on helping people with this in, in personal development. And I love doing it. It keeps me feeling so lively and alive by doing this work. So, yeah, so I do talks, I do workshops and what else? Yeah, podcasts. <laughs> podcasts, yeah. And it's wonderful because you you are into your 60s, aren't you? I am actually 68, yes, <laughs> this July. And that's what I love as well. So, you know, lots of the listeners to this show are maybe in their 40s and 50s and thinking, oh, I'm struggling through menopause. And that's so lovely to hear someone who is well past this, you know, also having this sass, this energy and this passion, which I think is really important for us to recognize and, and work towards because a lot of people go into their 70s, late 60s and 70s, beginning to give a little bit up on life and it becomes much smaller. But it feels to me like, you know, you've expanded, even if it's an internal expansion, your world has become bigger in some way. Yes, you're so right. And I think it, it is important. I think we need to look at age as more of a, somebody who's got wisdom, I think. <laughs> and I know some people might say, oh, you know, that's kind of like boasting, but I don't think so. I think we have gone through oh, this period, like you said, the 40s and 50s. And I used to get a lot of people in my workshop, especially the Field of Fear and Do It Anyway. And there were people in that age group still at the workplace. And of course, also in the 30s at the workplace, not feeling this freedom. And that's why they used to come to the Field of Fear and Do It Anyway workshop. I think I would say to anybody who's going through this to really start to look within rather than look for answers from outside. Maybe, you know, some people would start overeating or drinking or medication. But I think sometimes, of course, I'm not against those things. We all need a little bit of something to lift us up if it's really, if you're very, very down and mental work is too hard. But I think to look at these things, to increase the 
even the physical activity, because our mind and body are so connected, aren't they? You know, what we do sometimes physically, like meditation or physical activity, like uh, in my early days, when I was very, very down and I was learning these things, I actually went to a workshop by uh, Tony Robbins. And if anybody, I don't know if you have been, but anybody who has been will know the energy that uh, that guy <laughs> he gets you because, you know, it's also very what people call oh, Americanized, but I really enjoyed it. And it's uh, so I, what I learned after his workshop, what I used to do in the morning, if I felt like, okay, to start to look at my mental uh, attitude on that day or my mental or my feelings, how about doing something emo- uh, physical? So I used to stand uh, in front of the mirror and I used to go because he used to do these exercises in his sessions, which were like, really shaking your hands and saying, yes, 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 and raising the, and what I found was raising my hands higher than my head and releasing. And, and I used to do that for about five minutes and it really changed my state, I have to say. So doing physical vigorous exercise also helps to change our state. And of course, quiet time and meditation also helps the other side of the spectrum. You're so right. You're so right. That's sort of, yeah. And that reminds me that I used to have a very long time ago, like about 40 years ago, <laughs> maybe 30 years ago, I had a yoga teacher and she started every yoga class with lots of shaking. You know, you just shake your hands, shake your feet, shake your whole body as if you were getting that energy that was stagnant moving again. And that's, of course, what, what Tony Robbins is doing in his. But you're right. We can't always change the external world, as you said in your workshops, going back to that. Sometimes we have to change our internal state because we're not always in a position to throw in our jobs or leave partners or do, you know, we have responsibilities too, but we can always change our internal state. Yes. And when we start changing that, we we start seeing things differently. I think when Dr. Wayne Dyer often says, when you change how you're thinking, you change what's on the outside, something Something like that, you know, you change your experience. So, but balance is very important to do a little bit of all those aspects of us. It is indeed. Balance is very important that we're sort of not going too far down one road or another. You talked a little bit about, or I would say, what were your best tips for people who want to start on this journey? Where would they begin, Asmina? So I would say definitely if you are not living a balanced life, definitely look into how much me time are you giving yourself. A little bit of time for you is so important and to communicate that to others that are around you, that you need this. And people who care for you will come out to help. I think often people feel that, oh, they can't because everybody's busy. But I think people do love to help, which I've noticed. And also to say, No, and you don't have to be rude to say no. You can say no by being very gentle and by being kind and expressing yourself. I feel I need this, so will you be able to do this? Rather than, oh, don't do this, don't do that. You know, that communication is important. So I would say really, really focus on a little bit of time for you. And in that reflection, then you can really start looking at your own needs. And then look at aspects like your thoughts. What kind of thoughts do you have? Are they negative? Because negative thoughts will obviously create negative emotions. So become conscious of your thoughts. Uh, A lot of times we are not conscious of our thoughts. We are conscious of our feelings. I didn't know that if I change my thought, my feelings will change. I was just trying to avoid my feelings. 
So acknowledge your feelings. And I think at this uh, stage, people with COVID and everything and things opening up, people are going through anxiety a lot. Rather than push that anxiety out, oh, I don't want to feel it. Actually feel the anxiety, breathe into it. And you might, we might, we get insights, I think, into whereas I think a lot of people are tr- going on medication and trying to get rid of it. Or just ignoring it or doing, doing whatever. You're, you're so right. We have to lean in to our feelings. We have to lean in sometimes to our pain, whether that's emotional or even possibly physical. And in that way, we see that it can soften and it can give. That's right. And this is another thing I think we're not really taught enough of is that actually it might feel painful beginning when we are focusing in the pain, but actually paying that attention. It's like paying attention to a little child who is crying. And you know how a child just stops, don't they? When you when you just pick them up and hug them, they stop crying for a lot of them. Unless uh, something, of course, the physical pain is going on. But generally, it's just they're just looking for a little affection. And that's how our feelings are. They're looking for a little bit of attention and to pay a little attention to them and then check in with, how can I now think differently to change this feeling? If you're blaming, if you're blaming other people for your situation, then of course ask yourself, if I'm responsible, how can I react to this? That's also quite important. And then learn to deal with fears. There are a lot of tools for that as well. Knowing, you know, that a lot of our fears are false expectations. 95% of the fears, I think it's said, are actually false expectations that we think will be real but they're not actually real. So look at that in, in, uh, in that way. That's really good. I love that. They're very sort of simple initial steps that are in our control for us to do. Asmina, tell me how my listeners can get in touch with you, learn more about what you do. Yes. Yeah, so my website is asminajiwa.com, which is A-Z-M-I-N-A-J-I-W-A.com. So you can contact me through that. My book is called Freedom to Be Me. It's available on Amazon. Also, if anybody wants a signed copy, again, write to me through my website. And there's three chapters which are free for anybody who wants to experience it before buying it. You can download three chapters that are free. And I am going to put out information of a workshop coming up. It'll be one and a half hour workshop for eight weeks with these keys of freedom to be you. How can you help yourself if you're feeling like the conversation we've just had, if you're in that situation where you're feeling the symptoms of a bit of anxiety, tearfulness, worthlessness, unhappy, then these are the tools I'm going to be teaching people. And so again, write to me if you're interested and I'll send you the information. Uh, I haven't put it out on my website yet, but soon. So, but uh, thank you very, very much, Clarissa, for this opportunity to be able to talk about uh, my work. And uh, also, I hope it's been helpful to the listeners. It has been wonderful to have you, Asmina. I think you've shared a, a really great story that so many people can relate to. We will put your details or your link to your website on to the show notes, but that's asminajiwa.com and follow up with Asmina if you want to know more about her amazing workshops and her books too. Thank you, Asmina, so much. Thank you so much. It was lovely. Thank you. Thank you for listening. 
If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristensen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening. The U.S. Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp.